All right, sorry, I'm late here, but I am recording now. Amen. So, so, so Jesus, I believe, if you read those scriptures in Matthew, he's talking to people that claim to know God. In both passages, right? The ones that didn't recognize him, and then the ones that said, I did all these things in your name. In your name, they said they did him. And Jesus said, depart from me. He calls them wicked. Wicked. Right? So, so what is God like? So early on in our life as new Christians, right, we've been taught, that, we've been taught to think of God in, in propositional terms, right? Like God is omnipresent. He's omniscient, right? He's uh, uh, omnipotent, right? And all these words, although fancy and do describe something about God, they're very distant, they're far away. It doesn't really describe Jesus in some sense, right? It doesn't really describe uh, uh, Jesus in the way that he shows us what God's like, right? And these propositional terms, you can almost say that they're, they're cold and far away. What do we do with an omnipresent God? What do we do with an omniscient God that knows everything? What do we do with a God that, that, that's all-powerful, right? Because all these questions, all these things that we may try to talk to people about as far as who God is, you already know where it's going, where I'm going with this, right? God's all-powerful. Oh, really, He's all-powerful? So why is He letting all the suffering in this world? Why, why does He allow little kids to get raped? You know, and, you know, you know and, and we'll say things like, oh, God showed up. You know, there's a church that has a glory cloud. Oh, God showed up. Look at He's right here. You know, non-Christians will look at that and say, oh, God can show up in some little glory cloud, but He can't show up to defend some helpless person. He can't show up to help a homeless person. And so we start to paint this picture of God that, that's kind of abstract, that doesn't really provide hope for a hopeless world, Right? But if you look at everything about Jesus, Jesus does provide a hope. And what is that hope? We, gotta, we have to go back and look at Jesus and study the scriptures, study the gospels, and, 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 and let it change us, right? This guy I was talking to, he was like, no, you got to threaten them with hell. And I'm like, I don't need hell to serve God. Because he feels that if you don't have fear, you'll never change. And I think that's baloney. I think it's baloney. I don't, I don't, I don't, I refuse to accept that anymore. I didn't raise my son to fear me, but he loves me and he's done his best to obey me. He's done his best to obey his parents, to, to live right. Why? Because he loves us. There's something inside of us that does want to please God. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so all these definitions can cause us to push God farther away from us and really make him distant and unknowable. Right? So, it's kind of our way of boxing God in, right? We have these nice three clean little definitions. We box God in. But what can we say about God that is true? What can we say about God that is true? So we can talk to many different people and get different ideas as to what God is like. I bet you if, we, if you sat here and just talked to everybody in here, we might get different definitions of what, of what we think God is like, right? There may be a lot of things that we agree on, but we might have different views, which is okay. Okay, I'm not... I don't, I'm not here to indoctrinate you. I'm here to, to, to help you think, help you get to know who Jesus really is, right? Because when you come to know who Jesus really is, what you find is a loving God. What you find is a God that's very compassionate, very, very merciful, way more merciful than you and I can comprehend. Think of it this way. Bobby asks me this question all the time. He says, Dad, he says, if we're capable of showing mercy, 
how much more can God show mercy? How much more merciful is God than us? If we're capable of showing someone compassion and, and crying for someone that's hurt, how much more is God? Right? I mean, we're just, I think we're just a droplet of an understanding of, of, of how loving God really is. Um, so I think we need some humility, right? We need some humility. We need some humility in, in, in recognizing that we may not know everything about God, right? Uh, Brad Jersak says this, he says, those who claim to believe in the God of the Bible must become more aware of how we read the text through thick lenses of our own unconscious biases. All of us, when we read the Bible, we're reading it through our lenses, of our experiences, our understanding, how we see things, what we've been taught, and we project that into the Bible. It's very, when I started divinity school, I mean, for the first couple of semesters, they kept cramming into us. You got to forget everything you were taught. <laughs> he stayed, I mean, they kept, he says, you know, you cannot come in with your subjective theologies. You got to let all that go and, and read and start reading objectively. Very hard to do. Even as much as you can rid yourself of, there's still going to be unconscious biases that we have. We'll still come in to the text reading, whatever it is, whether it's our background, our culture, all kind of, we're all, we're all going to come in. And, and, and that's where we need humility. We need to recognize that all of us do that. Amen. All of us do that. All of us come in with uh, a certain uh, 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 unconscious biases. And that, that's okay. It, because the part of, like I said, I was sharing with uh, Tony at uh, the, the Bible study Friday, I said that I know I'm wrong somewhere. Problem is, I don't know where I'm wrong. All of you should be able to say that humbly. I know I'm wrong somewhere in my theological conclusions, but if, if I knew I would fix it, the problem is I don't know where I'm wrong, right? Yeah. And so through the years, you may find yourself changing your views, changing your, your views, saying, okay, God, I once thought you were like this, but now I realize. And, and if you've been serving God long enough, we've all done that. Mm-hmm. We've all done that where we said, you know what, I was wrong in my conclusions then, and I've corrected them. Mm-hmm. So what can we say about God? So I think these are some things that we can really think about, right? God is good and is never evil. Okay, he's not both or or. He's not an and or. He's not good and or evil, you know. God is good. He is the perfection of all we call goodness. God is love and every other aspect of God must align with his love. God is light. And in Him is no darkness whatsoever. 1 John 1.9 God is, perfect. God is perfect beauty and in Him is no ugliness at all. God is perfect truth and let no one call Him a liar. God is perfect justice and in Him is no injustice at all. You know, if we were to go back and, and, and reread some of the scriptures, you know, like when you read Sodom and Gomorrah, and people say, well, God destroyed them because they were gay. But if you let, actually, if you read the story without that unconscious bias, nowhere does it say God did that. It does not say that at all. In fact, Ezekiel clarifies and he says that God destroyed them because they were an unjust people. They mistreated the poor. They, they, there was a, an imbalance of equality. And God was angry because of that. See, we, we have to start thinking about God, I think, through the lens of Jesus, right? We have to let Jesus help us understand what God is like, right? And, and, and any time we read in the Bible that it sounds different, 
I'm not saying throw it out. I'm saying think about it. Pray through it. Ask God. Study. Get some commentaries. Read. See what other scholars say. There's other people. The worst thing you can do is to sit there and think you're going to figure everything out on your own. Mm -hmm. Why? Sit down. Talk to me. Talk to Tony. We may have different perspectives. But you want, you want to understand. That's what we're doing. We're seekers, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not seeking because I'm trying to disprove God. I'm seeking because I love Him. I'm trying to understand Him. Right? It's a, it should be a lifelong love yes. of understanding what God's like. Yeah. And, and be able to, again, have that humility say, Man, God, I was wrong mm-hmm. in this view. Help me, help me. I mean, Chuck Smith, for, for God's sakes, one time said that, he said that uh, it's better to have a right attitude than the right theology. Mm-hmm. He goes, because in an instant, he says, God can change my theology. Yes. He says, but my attitude can take a lifetime to change. My attitude, right? So, so we need to have a, an attitude of humility and understanding that, that the Bible, you know, we've been taught that, oh, it's so clear, everything's so perfect in the Bible. No, it's not. There's a lot of complexity going on, a lot of stories that you say, wow, you know, what's happening here, you know? So God is like Jesus, right? I've kind of pounded that in for like the last year and a half. <laughs> Uh, Brad Jersak says this. By the way, uh, I'm, I'm going to be working these, some of these ser- the series of the sermons. I don't know if I'm going to do the entire book, but I am working through Brad Jersak's book, uh, A More Christ-Like God. Mm-hmm. So if you want to read along, I'm not going to cover everything in his book, but if you want to read along, get some more background information, I really recommend the book. It's, it's really good. Uh, he says, The Christian faith at its core is the gospel announcement that God, the eternal spirit who created, fills and sustains the universe has shown us who he is and what he is like, exactly what he's like. In the flesh, and in the flesh and blood human, we sometimes call Emmanuel God with us. Conversely, we believe Jesus has shown us the face and heart of God through the fullness of his life on earth. And that is what you and I need to be convinced of. That we, we always need to look to Jesus, look at the Gospels, for years, I tried to understand Jesus through Paul, right? And finally, man, when I kind of went back, I repented about a lot of things. Uh, I repented about my views and all this stuff. And, and I went back to reading the Gospels. And finally, I had like just this epiphany, like this, something just clicked. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I've had it backwards. I needed, because once I reread the Gospels again, I began to see the beauty, the love of God, and I began to see, I'm like, yeah, this is the Jesus I fell in love with. This is the one I remembered when I first gave my life to Him. This is the one I wanted to know. And somehow it got distorted and I lost my way. And finally, when I kind of realized that again, I looked at Paul and I says, oh, wait, now I get it. I'm rereading things about Paul. He loved Jesus, man. Paul loved the Lord. And now, now I'm understanding Paul through Jesus. I'm saying, whoa, look at the things that, that look, at, look at how Paul speaks of Jesus, man. He loved our Lord, right? And he did everything to try and protect him. I want to read you a little bit out of his book uh, regarding uh, Bill Maher. How many know who Bill Maher is? Bill Maher is uh, an atheist, as best as I understand, right? And so, um, so Bill Maher has things to say, right? Uh, uh, here in his book, he says that... Um, uh, Let's see. He's talking about God's love and stuff. And, and so Brad Jersek says that Jesus is seldom the issue. He's talking about that, that Jesus is seldom the issue for, for non-believers, right? It, it's, it's, it's the message 
that American evangelicalism has been proclaiming that's part of the problem, right? And so he says, Jesus is seldom the issue even for a, a rabid, self-avowed non-Christian such as Bill Maher. He says his primary attacks are not against Jesus at all, but against Christians whose religion does violence in the name of the Prince of Peace. And, this, and he goes on to quote Bill Maher. I want to read you what Bill Maher says. He says, if you're a Christian that supports killing your enemy and, and torture, you have come up with a new name for yourself. Capping thy enemy is not exactly what Jesus would do. For almost 2,000 years, Christians have been lawyering the Bible to try and figure out how love thy neighbor can mean hate thy neighbor. Martin Luther King Jr. gets to call himself a Christian because he actually practiced loving his enemies. And Gandhi was so effing Christian, he was a Hindu. But if you're endorsing revenge, torture, or war, you cannot say you're a follower of the guy who explicitly said, love your enemy and do good to those who hate you. And, put, and not to put too fine a point on it, but nonviolence was kind of Jesus' trademark, kind of his big thing. To not follow that part of it is like joining Greenpeace and hating whales. The interesting, the, the, the interpreting, uh, there's interpreting and then there's just ignoring. It's just ignoring if you're for torture as more evangelical Christians than any other religion. You're supposed to look at that figure of Christ on the cross and think, how could a man suffer like that and forgive? Listen to that. Listen to that. How could a man hanging on a cross who is now the victim of our violence, of our hatred, still love us and say, I forgive them. When he prayed, Father, forgive them, he's not saying, oh, Father, would you please have it in your heart to forgive these? No, because he, what did he say? I and the Father were one. We think the same. So the father was already in agreement with, yes, let's forgive them, son. Bill Maher says, how could a man suffer like that and forgive? He says, I'm a non-Christian, just like most Christians. If you ignore every single thing Jesus commanded you to do, you are not a Christian. You're just auditing. You're not Christ followers. You're just fans. Well, that's heavy, isn't it? Yeah. And if you believe the earth was given to you, uh, I'm going to read it here. Uh, well, maybe I won't. If you believe the earth... <laughs> I'm not offended. I don't want to offend anybody in here. If you believe the earth was given to you to kick your arse while gloating, you're not really a Christian. I, li- I like his humor. You're not really a Christian. You're a Texan. <laughs> wow, that's heavy, isn't it? Why does, why does it take an unbeliever to point to us wow. that we're nothing like Christ? Why? Why? Because we bought into it. Yes. Mm. We, we, we stop sometime, I don't know when it happened, we stop thinking, we stop questioning, we stop asking. Because we started buying into the pastors, the final authority on everything that God has mm. to say. We kind of became the Catholic Church prior to the Protestant movement. Mm. We're the sole authority and what we say matters. The, the day you stop questioning me is the day you should just leave. You should always, not always, okay? Don't always. <laughs> but if I say something that doesn't resonate with you, that doesn't sound like Christ, if I say something, if I want, if, if I say something that doesn't sound like Jesus to you, yeah, well, Becky's always here to pick me up, so you probably won't have to worry too much about that. But if I ever do, 
you should ask. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. sound like Jesus. Why would you say that? Yeah. And, and then maybe I'll have a good reason. Or maybe I'll say, well, man, I don't know. I, I, my allergies have been bad. I've gone on <laughs> three nights of no sleep. I was a little delirious, not quite sure what I was saying. <laughs> but we, we have to get out of this mentality that we're not allowed to ask questions. Okay? It's okay to have doubt. We're taught that we have to have this perfect faith. It's okay to question. It's, just, it's okay to look at some of the stories in the Old Testament and say, I don't understand. It's okay. Right? We, we look at Jesus and we follow Him, right? I was reading this book yesterday by Brendan Manning. Great guy, by the way. Um, they're making a movie about him. Maybe when it comes out, we'll, we'll watch it here. Uh, uh, Brendan Manning was a guy that became a priest, stopped being a priest, uh, got married, got divorced. And so he starts talking about grace and mercy. And he's old. He passed away recently, but he, he lived to be, I think, in his 80s or so. And, and in his introduction, he says that, he says, I'm a living testimony of the grace and mercy of God. Amen. And his life, his, through his brokenness, his failures, all the things that he went through in life, helps so many people, you know. And, uh, and, and he, said that, he said this, and I said this to Becky, man, I go, he, he stole my quote, man. And she goes, what do you mean he stole the quote? She goes, you never met him. Because <laughs> I said this before, right? He, he said the same thing that I said. He says, he says, I've been on this journey following Jesus, but it hasn't been a straight road. It's been crooked. And you guys heard me say that, right? That's how my life's been, it feels. Like it's been a crooked road. Like I sideways and got distracted maybe with religion, power, violence, or money, whatever, right? All these distractions that happen in our lives. But I got back, right? So it's kind of been like a winding road for me. So what is God like? So here's something to think about. One good thing about atheists they have at least rejected a false god. And I think that gives us some talking points with an atheist, right? Say, hey, you know what? I reject the same god you've rejected. Because he's nothing like that at all. Let me li- Why don't we talk a little bit about Jesus? Let's just talk. Let's, I don't need to convince you he's God. Let's just talk about his life and who he was. The kind of person he was and how he represented God. Whether you believe he's God or not, We'll get to that at, at another point. It doesn't matter for right now for this conversation. Because, you know, the people that were following Jesus when he was on this earth, they didn't think he was God either. Mm-hmm. They didn't know who he was. Yeah. A pro- they were confused. Like, are you a prophet? Are you what this or that? And then, then he says, you know, he starts talking about me and the Father are one. And if you've seen Abraham, I was before Abraham. And he's saying all these things. And the Pharisees are saying, oh, blasphemy. He's saying he's God. Mm-hmm. You know, but the people following him, what they saw was a good man. Uh, they, maybe they thought of him as a prophet more than anything else, right? A prophet that, that understands the heart of God, right? Because he wasn't the first prophet mm-hmm. to start talking about the love of God. Jeremiah is talking about that God loves us. Hosea uses the, 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 uses the, uh, the metaphor of his own life, right? The, the prostitute that he marries because God wants to show how much he loves us, right? Mm-hmm. So one good thing about an atheist, at least they've rejected a false god, Brad Jersak says this, When I personally turned my gaze to the God who is completely Christ-like, I was confronted with how unchristlike the church God or even the Bible God can be. Mm-hmm. Setting Jesus as the standard for perfect theology, many of our current Christian beliefs and practices would obviously face indictment. It's kind of warm in here. Can you turn on the AC? Thanks. And... and 
this is a place, you know, one of the things, too, that I was thinking, you know, because I've been repenting, okay, changing my mind, my heart, a lot the last 10 years. One of the things God told me, he's kind of reminded me, he's like, hey, you've been kind of on this journey for 10 years. Don't expect people overnight to be where you're at, you know. And so if, if I've come on too strong, I do apologize. Um, if I've come on too strong and, and, and shaking you a little bit, I do apologize. I'm not trying to uh, rattle your faith. I'm trying to build your faith. Um, and sometimes I, I, I tend to be forceful sometimes. I don't know. Uh, but, but I do encourage you, right? The whole, all of us need to be following Jesus. And that's where we need to be, right? And wherever you're at and understanding things, uh, just, just continue to follow him and, 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 and think through this stuff. Um, so if God is like Christ, what do we do with all of our systematic theological conclusions we have made about God based on the Bible, right? So things like that we got to think about, right? If God is in control, why the chaos in this world? Control is a, is a whole Calvinistic way of thinking, right? That God's in control of everything. That makes no sense, right? Why, if God is in control of everything, then you would think it's just a better world, right? Uh, Armenia's theologian Roger, how um, am I drawing the name? Anyhow, he wrote the, the book, The Mosaic of Christian Beliefs. Can't believe I'm drawing a blank on his last name. Olson, thank you, Becky. She, she hasn't even read his book, and she knows something. That's how much I've quoted him to, to her. Roger Olson, Armenia's theologian, prefers to use the term God's in charge. I kind of like that a little bit better, too. That God's in charge, not in control, he's in charge. You know, it's kind of a way of thinking about it. If God is the loving Father Jesus proclaimed, what about suffering and, aff- and affliction, right? Why does God allow evil people to have their way? I know you've all thought about this stuff before. Maybe you have answers. I'm just asking you to rethink this all over again. Right? Was God really punishing Jesus for our sins? We've been taught, that. I don't know if you were taught that, I was taught that, that God was punishing Jesus for our sins. Mm-hmm. That God was angry and that, that he had to punish his son for our sins, right? That's penal substitution. I, I don't believe that no more. I, I, I think that Jesus was the sacrifice, but he was our sacrifice. We sacrificed him, right? He came, he's this good loving man, and what do we do to him? We kill him, right? As good as he was, all the healings, the feeding, everything he's doing, he's taking care of the homeless, he's doing all this good stuff, and what do we do? We hate him, we kill him. Right, because he's not religion. He's not power. Right? He's none of these things that we want. Right? He's not the kind of God we really want. Right? Why? Because we're idol worshippers. Something about us, we're idol worshippers. Right? Look at the whole history of the, the Israelites. They're delivered by this amazing God. And what do they constantly go back and do? Worship idols. So I want to read you this other story of this girl that uh, in his book, in Brad Jersek's book, it's, he, he was giving a speech at a high school talking about God. And after he was done speaking, this girl, he, he gave her this name, Jess, she was a high school student that asked him various questions that I believe most people are asking about um, in today's Christianity. I, I think that if you've spent some time... Um, talking to people, especially young people, especially uh, young people. Uh, Jordan's got some, some young nephews and stuff that, that, that 
she might be able to kind of relate, but if you've talked to anybody young, or, and by young I mean somewhere mid-30s and younger, kind of that millennial, do you know the exact millennial age, Tony, by any chance? I think it's 17 up to 30. Isn't it? 17 up to 30, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that kind of group and even the group that's following them, you're, you're going to find them more and more talking about this question. So this is, this is Jess, and she starts by telling him this. She says, I'm 15 years old. I rejected Christianity when I was 12, but what you're saying makes sense to me, but I have questions. You hear that? It's a 15-year-old girl. I have questions. And she says, lots of questions. Her, her eyes were serious, waiting for me to flinch. Good, I said. Questions are good. Fire away. So the, 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 teenage, uh, the teenager's questions uh, are the same ones, he says, that I've been hearing for years. He says, and I needed to work through them myself, and I usually treated them uh, with a heap of pain, right? It is painful, right? When we're, when we're rethinking some of this stuff, it is painful because some of it we hold on to very emotionally, right? He says, behind her questions were untold stories, that were about to leak out. He says, you might be alarmed by the frankness and substance of my answers, but the urgency of her situation warranted. I hope you would stick with me as I explain how I could possibly say these things as, as his, he says, as my book unfolds. He goes, but for now, he says, I just want to give you a glimpse of our dialogue. So Jess says, why does Jesus seem so loving and God so mean? Brad says, God is not mean. He's exactly like Jesus, and Jesus is not mean. Jess says, then why does God send people to hell to burn them forever and ever? Brad says, he doesn't. That would be silly. The God who is love, who is like Jesus, would never do that, would he? That would make no sense, would it? Jess says, no, but my grandma was not a Christian, and she died, and now some of my family cries and cries because they say she's in hell. Brad says, well, I can maybe imagine someone who was truly wicked perishing like Hitler... But would you say your grandma was wicked? She's crying now. And I'm crying. <laughs> no. Brad says, but Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. Do you, do you think you could leave your grandma in his caring hands? Jess, with no hesitation, yes. In prayer, she puts her grandma in his hands, peace. Jess, with a flash of anger, says, but why would God command people to kill, to commit genocide in the Old Testament? Why would He kill all those people, including their children? And then the 32 virgins that the priests kept for themselves, what do you suppose they, they did with them? He says, oh dear, she's been reading Numbers 31. <laughs> <laughs> Brad says, sex slaves? Yeah, Jess says. Brad says, if God were like Jesus, would he do that? And that's the question we have to start asking, right? If God were like Jesus, would he do that? Jess says, no. Well, of course not, Brad says, because God is exactly like Jesus. Then why would he, then why, then why does it say he did, Jess asks. Brad says, you tell me. Jess says, because they didn't know what God is really like. They just described him based on what they thought. Brad says, sure. But can you imagine the father in the prodigal son story? Or the father that Jesus prayed to doing that? And that's what we have to do, right? We have to look at the stories Jesus told and imagine, would God do those things? Would God be this way? I know it may rock us really hard, but we have to ask that question. Jesus is the full revelation of what God is like. 
And the Jews didn't always get it right. And why do we expect them to? They didn't have Jesus. They were understanding God in an ancient way. And some of the prophets were given revelation of what God was like. And they start saying, Jeremiah saying, I didn't ask for sacrifice. I didn't. I asked for obedience, right? So, she, so Brad asked, do you imagine Jesus doing that? She says, no. Brad says, well, then I guess he didn't. Jess says, and more tears in her eyes. I still have a lot of questions. God is the creator of everything, and he is in control of everything and causes everything to happen for a purpose. So Brad says, no. She goes, huh? Brad says, like rape? God causes rape? Rape is for a purpose? She says, no. Brad says, no. Rape is just evil. You hear that? Sometimes we're taught everything has a purpose. Maybe everything doesn't have a purpose. Maybe some things are just evil. Evil, okay? Sin and evil are not the same thing. Okay? You can, you can do sin that's not evil, right? I can tell a little lie. Like, you know, for whatever reason, maybe I couldn't afford creamer and I just lied because I was ashamed that I couldn't afford creamer. It's not evil. <laughs> it's whole milk people <laughs> if I went and robbed the store and shot somebody and killed them because I wanted half and half that's evil okay <laughs> she said he's Brad says no rape is just evil he says there's no lesson that's how God teaches that's not how God teaches lesson he doesn't do control that's why terrible things happen but we wouldn't want him to control us, would you? She shakes her head and says, no. Brad says, so he never causes evil and he doesn't use control to prevent us from doing evil. But he does care. He loves and cares and wants to come heal those who have been hurt by evil. Jess says, I have three relatives who were molested, but I wasn't. I couldn't understand because people always say God is in control and everything happens for a reason. And there's that story again, Brad says. So no, God didn't cause that in any way. But if God were like Jesus, would you be able to put your relatives in his care just like you did with your grandma? Yes, no hesitation. She does it. Peace, more tears. Can you see them there? She's nodding. How are they there? Brad says, what are these tears about? Why are you crying? She says, because I believe you. See, you see the hope? Jesus came to give hope. And we're robbing this world of hope, man. We're, we're, we've been so conditioned to talk about a hateful, angry God in hell that we stop thinking about what Jesus actually said, about how he lived and how he cared. You know, when I was talking to this guy on Facebook, you know, he said something along the same lines. And I says, you know what? He goes, he goes well, the thing that matters the most is heaven and hell. And Jaime kind of alluded to this and talked about this on Friday. And I said, you know what? I'm not worried about the future. I'm not worried about heaven and hell. I trust that God is going to do the right things for those things. What I'm worried about is today. Today. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Today, I'm concerned about how I'm reflecting Christ back into this world. Amen. How... How am I living today? How am I loving my neighbor? What am I doing to bring about the kingdom of God? What am I doing? Am I light? Am I salt? Salt, salt is, is good. God bless you. Salt is good, right? 
You ever had food without salt? It's terrible, right? Especially meats. It's like, ugh, it's terrible. You ever... Sometimes we're, we're over-salted Christians, aren't we? We're, we're too much, right? We're, we're obnoxious, right? We're like, you know, the other day I was eating cashews and I got a chunk of salt. I almost threw up. It was horrible. Right? We don't want to be obnoxious, over-salted Christians, right? Let me, let me keep going here. I have to stop because this story makes me cry, so I'm trying to just compose myself. So let me just end with this, not end, but let me just finish. I already finished the story. So Brad just says, as I read through that conversation again, I'm struck by how many huge boulders stood in just way to faith, right? To faith, right? See, whether we like it or not, we've actually placed these obstacles in the way of faith. We, somehow we stop talking about Jesus. And we start talking about a lot of other things, about politics, about this, about that, about creation, all this stuff. We need to get back and start telling people just about Jesus, who he is, and following him, right? Uh, Brad Jersek says this, he says, we've been conditioned to obsess over sins, even ones that aren't even mentioned in the Bible. Right? We, why, why are we so obsessed with sins? Why? This one guy, I was talking back and forth, I told him, I says, hey, look, man, I'm not putting words in your mouth. But if I follow your logic, the only reason you're following Jesus is because you don't want to go to hell. I says, if you ask me, that's sad. I says, I don't follow Jesus because I don't want to. I follow it because I love him. Because he's good. He's been good to me. He says, we have been conditioned to think that God is the great punisher and not the redeemer. Mm. Haven't we forgotten that? Jesus is the redeemer. He comes to redeem us, right? And he says, but what has this sort of God gotten us? He says, far from establishing righteousness, fear of the punisher God only provokes a disastrous counter-revolution of hedonism. He says, I'm going to hell anyways. I might as well make the most of it. When I was uh, uh, at the conference at at Jordan's uh, other church, this one guy was sharing his story how he was gay and he suppressed it all his life and he was a Christian and he just suppressed it. And, you know, after years he got married and his life just unraveled and his marriage broke down. And he finally, finally, for once in his life, he admitted to himself, he says, I'm gay and this is who I am. And you know what he immediately concluded? There's no hope for me. That was his immediate conclusion. There's no hope for me. I'm going to burn in hell forever. And you know, when we create hopelessness, that's why people have this attitude. Well, I might as well make the most of it. What does it matter? What does it matter? God doesn't love me. He doesn't love me. Listen to that word. Listen. You know, when, when we say God doesn't love me, we think of ourselves. No, that person's telling you that whoever I am, whatever I'm like or everything, God doesn't love me. We need, we need to stop this, man. God, I'm like, uh, it, it just, you know, I've been crying more for people than I ever have in all my life. And, and, and I finally realized that I'm crying because, because I finally care. I, I, finally, I finally, like it's not a manufacturer hurt, I, I really care. And then I'm crying and I'm praying for people. And I'm moved by, by the hurt and, and, and I'm asking God, forgive me because I think that I contributed to that hurt. See, that's repentance, isn't it? Right? I've changed my heart. I've changed my mind. 
But what did Jesus teach us? He taught us a fresh emphasis on God as the merciful and hospitable Father, right? God is hospitable. He says, hey, my dad has mansions. Maybe it's a metaphor, but it's a good metaphor. My dad has mansions. There's room for you. For you, Tony. For you, Jaime. For you, Patty. There's lots of rooms. Come on. My dad wants to adopt you. He doesn't care what you like. He doesn't care. Just come on in. Come live with me. Come live with me. This is the message. Why? This is why Jesus got angry when he invited all the important people and they didn't show up. He says, you know what? Go to the streets. Bring them all in. They're all welcome in my father's home. But we stop talking about a welcoming message. Brad Jersek says, who wins us by love rather than threats, right? Right? That's, that's the, the, the guy that experienced mercy from God. Man, he loved the Lord. He says, you're good. You're good. The one who accepts and adores us while we were still a mess, right? In due time, he says, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Well, when we didn't care an ounce about him, he loved us. He says, the one who sees us as we are and heals us with hugs rather than blows. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Or do you have contempt? For the riches of God's generosity, tolerance, and patience. Don't you realize that God's kindness is supposed to lead you to change your heart and life? Right? You know, it's like rebelling against God and fighting Him and resisting Him. And He just continuously shows you goodness and kindness. And finally, what does it do? It brings you to your knees and you says, and almost in anger, you're like, why are you so nice to me? Why do you love me? Leave me alone. Why are you good to me? Why? And then that goodness, that love, right? It just breaks you, right? And, he, and he's talking to Christians. He says, why are you guys showing so much contempt because God's good? Why are you? Why are you showing so much contempt because he's generous and tolerant and patient? Why? And he, and he, and he, and he, and he chastises him. He says that God's kindness is meant to lead us to change, Right? Look at in Titus 2, a book I haven't read in years. <laughs> the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, right? We don't like that idea. You know why? You know why we don't like the idea of the possibility that God might save all humanity? Because we're like that story Jesus told. Jesus told stories to ask us, who are we in the story, right? Every time you read the parables, Jesus is asking you one question, who are you in this story? And it's the story of the laborers. They're all working. Some of them started at, 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 at sunrise and they worked all day long. And at the end of the day, an hour before, Jesus hired a couple of, hired me and David because he felt sorry for us because we're old. And I thought Tony in there too. The last hour, the last hour he hired us, right? Jaime's been laboring all day. Bobby's been laboring all day. Even Eddie's been laboring all day. And then when Jesus starts to hand out the wages, he pays them all the same. Right? And Bobby, Jaime, and Eddie. God! Why? Why are you saving all of them? We served you all our life and they just get a free pass. They get to come in. They didn't even love you. They didn't care for you. We were here early because we loved you and we cared and we wanted to do your work. They didn't love you. They just showed up whenever they felt like it. Matter of fact, I think Robert and David were drunk. (laughs) See, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. You know what? I have a hope that God's going to figure out how to save all humanity. Again, like Brad Jersek said, and I've thought about this, there may be very wicked people that that will not escape a certain faithful judgment. I don't know. But you know what? I thank God that's not my job. 
I'm, it's not my job to judge. He says it educates us so that we can live sensible, ethical, and godly lives right now by rejecting ungodly lives and the desires of this world. I told this person, I said, I says, he, he goes, so, so we can sin? He, that's what he tells me because I don't live by fear. He goes, so we can sin and just do whatever we want because we don't have to fear hell? I says, I guess if that's how you want to live, but why? Yeah. I says, I don't live that way. I don't, I don't live out of fear, Right? I says, I, I believe what Jesus says and I follow his commandments, right? The law of love, the law of grace, Tony talked about on Friday, yes. right? That law that says, love your neighbor as yourself. See, I love God sure. and I love my neighbor as myself. Mm-hmm. And because I love my neighbor of myself, guess what? I'm not going to abuse them and I'm not going to abuse myself. So I'm not going to be a drunkard. Why? Because being a drunkard is abusing yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not going to go have sexual escapades because why? That's abusing myself. That's, that's uh, abusing the people I'm using. And not only that, I'd be committing adultery. Or cheating, at least. If you want to get technical. <laughs> adultery is if a man cheats with another married woman. If you want to be technical by the law. <laughs> we don't want to be technical. right? We want to follow Christ. And I think Jesus removes all that technicality and says, look, this is very simple. I'm going to make it for you. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Brad Jersak says, what the church at large needed more than anything and what, the world, and what the world was more than ready for is a more Christ-like God and by extension, a more Christ-like church because we mimic what we worship. See, if we worship a violent, retributive God, guess what we're going to be? Violent, retributive people. But if we worship a loving, forgiving, merciful God, what, are, what kind of people are we going to be? Loving, merciful people, right? Right. All right, let's just close with this last quote here. Oh, wait, I got one more scripture, sorry. Um, so Brad Jersak says, Jesus shows us in the Gospels what fatherhood meant to him. Extravagant love, affirmation, affection, and belonging. It meant scandalous forgiveness and inclusion. Jesus showed us this supernaturally safe, welcoming Father love extended to very messy people before they repented and before they had faith. Or better, he was actually redefining repentance and faith as simply coming to him, baggage and all, to taste his goodness and mercy. I love that, man. Redefining repentance. Jesus says, just follow me. Just follow me. Come along, man. I'm going to show you the way. That's what he says. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the light. Follow me. He didn't seem to appreciate our self-loathing. The repentance he wanted was that we would welcome his kindness into our deepest needs and wounds. Right? That's powerful, isn't it? Jesus, come in to my deepest needs, into my wounds, man. Do you really love me the way I am? Man, close your eyes and think about that for a moment, man. God, you really love me the way I am? And be honest with yourself, because I know some of you can be mean. I'm just talking about Becky. Other of you. (laughs) Amen. Close your eyes and think about this. We're going to pray here, amen. Just keep your eyes closed. Think about that. You love me, God. And not only me, but he loves everybody else, everybody that's different from you. Everybody that's the complete opposite of what you think humanity should be like. I'm going to read you a verse here. Just keep your eyes closed because I want you to just think about this. This is found in John chapter 14. And it's Philip. 
And Philip tells Jesus, he says, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. And I think this is what we've been doing all of our lives as Christians. We've been like Philip. We've been walking with Jesus, but we didn't get it. And we says, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus replies, don't you know me? And I think that's what Jesus is asking us again. Don't you know me? Keep your eyes closed, amen. Don't you know me? Becky, Christy, Tony, Jaime, don't you know me? Robert, don't you know me? And he says, Philip, even after I have been with you all this time, I think that's what he's telling us. I've been with you all this time, all these years. Don't you know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And, he's, and I think he's asking us this question. I want you to think about this question. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Don't you? See, I'm good. And my Father's just like me. He says, the words I've spoken to you, I don't speak on my own. This is Jesus. He's talking to us right now. The words I've spoken to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does His works. Mm -hmm. Listen to the next thing Jesus says. He says, trust me. Jesus loves saying that to us. Trust me. Trust me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on account of the works themselves. I think that last part is a cry of mercy on his behalf. He says, look, if you don't trust me, at least believe the works that I've shown you, that I've done. But he doesn't want us to believe on the works. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust him. God's good, guys. And I can't stress that, that God is good. And we need to fall in love with Jesus again. we We need to fall in love with him. We need to... We need to reconsider him and think about him and, 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 and let him be the topic of our conversations. Yes. Amen. amen. I'm going to dismiss here. Amen. Um, amen. I'm a, Tony, I'm going I'm to let you close it however way you want to close it here. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Sir, we would see Jesus. That's what was said by people. They wanted to see Jesus. And Lord, I, I pray that we would under we would search the scriptures and know that Jesus is the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Savior, Redeemer, Baptizer, Healer. All in all, Jesus is. I pray, Father, that you would help us to go out to heal people. I'm not asking for physical healings, but I'm asking for spiritual, mental healings to those who question who Jesus is and and why are you a Christian. I pray, Father, that you would just lead us into that point of, of being able to minister and to be that which you would be pleased in. As you look on us, O God, let us look at you and then show them you, the true you who you are. 
We give You praise. We give You glory. We love You, Lord. Thank You, Lord, for loving us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right.